Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Mike Went, And I'm Aaron Spears. This episode's challenge was a uh, kind of a newish format we thought we'd try out. Pick a year, any year. And uh, Mike, as you probably heard in the last, end of the last episode, threw uh, a random year generator we found online because the internet <laughs> is awesome. It works that way. Uh, came up with 1981. And this was really a blast to kind of jump in. We've only done themes or ideas or yeah, um, maybe needle drops is the most kind of like, you know, off kilter ish, like, you know, a theme rather than like a, a giallo horror um, or something <laughs> like that. And diving into like just a year, I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. So how did yeah. you kind of navigate jumping in with anything as long as it was released in 81, Mike? Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, I listen, I, I think I might've mentioned on the, on the podcast before, but I listened to a lot of satellite radio and that this includes the, uh, 1980s channel or eighties on eight. And oh, yeah. uh, oftentimes when they do these, they do like these top 40 countdowns. They always talk about the early eighties being a lot of times leftovers, basically from the seventies. Like there was an established kind of um, pop culture, uh, quo, I guess from that, from that, you know, the late seventies and it kind of bleeds over into like 80 and, and 81, probably parts of 82. Sure. So I feel like what I was kind of looking for were certain movies that, you know, kind of tried to break that trend a little bit and try to like, you know, we're trying to like give us a newer, you know, really into the eighties, I would say, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, cause sometimes you have a lot of these melodramatic movies, I think <laughs> um, that came out in, in 81, but uh, I was looking for more kind of like the uh, I don't know. It's the best way to say like, almost like the new Hollywood um, of that dick, like the stuff that kind of ushered the door further yeah. into what then became peak eighties and like a couple years right. later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, 70s hangover, as it were, continued into the 80s a little bit. Like, just yeah. when 1980 arrived, that did not mean disco stopped. Like, yeah, exactly. Still going strong. It's kind of like, you know, the, I guess if I'm using the music, it's like 91 and 90 or 90 and 91, you still have a lot of hair metal. And then, of course, a couple yeah. years later, it's like the alternative boom. So, right. yeah, it's always yeah. like that, that bubble where it is you know, you're still stuck in like, you know, a lot of like monochromatic or, or just like, I don't know. I always look at a lot of the movies of the late seventies mm-hmm. where it's like good quality acting, but like, it's like a lot of times they took a, the, uh, the technical quality took a seat back. It's just a lot of like drab looking films. Sometimes <laughs> not a lot of like, you know, ex- except for like say apocalypse now or something, but it's like not a lot of like, you know, especially with like comedies or, you know, they yeah. just get a kind of blandness to the look to them. It, does I, that make any sense? Like, no, no, I- it totally <laughs> does. Cause it, I hadn't really thought about that from a technical standpoint of like how, like the look of it, but yeah, I, I was, I, well, I was looking at some of the ones I, I, I was either looking at, I've either seen from this, this year or I watched for this episode and yeah. Yeah. One of my honorable mentions, I would say I, well, yeah, it's a little drab, but I think the director chose that on purpose. Sure. Um, 
But yeah, the the kind of leftovers from the new Hollywood era, because by the time you hit, you know, 77 was Star Wars, you're not really going to get the necessarily, um, I don't know, peak 70s like uh, Coppola doing the conversation. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a different vibe. It, it As we get into the 80s here, especially 81, like even the top of the box office, you're getting like Superman 2 was number three at the box office. Yeah. Hollywood is moving into what I always think of it as like the producer's era. Correct. There's still the filmmakers that are there and there's still like the top tier directors, but it, it becomes more of a like producer Hollywood. Can you put together the right package? that's going to make, you know, a blockbuster. We're all trying to mimic jaws now and we're all trying to, you know, we know what we have the language of summer blockbusters in place. Like we're trying to do more event films. Um, Yeah. It's not quite the cinematic universes or the franchises, the way we think of them now, but that is the birth in the eighties, not really in 81. I don't think just yet, but it's funny you mentioned comedies too, actually, because as I was going through the list, like I didn't write down a single comedy (laughs) either to watch or that I, I mean, I had seen some obviously, but like, you know, uh, right behind Superman two, Arthur, I've seen that one, the um, yeah. Original Arthur. It didn't even occur to me to write that down as like, Oh yeah, that'd be a, that's a good one from the, from the eighties or number five was stripes, you know, great, great comedy, but love stripes. Yeah. didn't 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 connect with me for some reason yeah it it was interesting because it's like i i know quite a few movies from this this year Mm -hmm. but it was like when we first when when it landed on it it did took me a minute to just kind of think i mean there's one you know the the obvious which i think you know which is the top grossing film of 81 is is the one that's you know raiders of the lost ark which like stuck out in my head yeah but then but yeah, like I definitely had to go on Google and, you know, and all these different Wikipedia pages to like really like get a sense of like, what was this year like? Yeah. And, I mean, there are some definite great films that came out this year. Yeah. Uh, but there are also a lot of forgettable ones. I <laughs> yeah, I think um, as we've mentioned previously on shows, too, if it's the first time listening, we generally try to dive in a little deeper than like the the quick results on Google. If you Google yeah. like um past topics we did were like you know film noir like if you google film noir like well you know they're greats for a reason they're pretty accessible there let's dive in a little deeper so so doing that specifically for 81 like top of the box office let's maybe not do raiders lost ark number two on golden pond which is really kind of fascinating that it it, that connected um i mean it's totally like Catherine hepburn henry fonda jane fonda like that was clearly connecting with like star power in the eighties and they can open that kind of movie. I cannot picture a movie year currently where like something like on golden pond would be number two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I mean, looking at the current box office landscape, I mean, where a lot of the, the movies of that ilk, you know, the indie type movies, you know, barely make, you know, half a million on a weekend at the box office now. Oh yeah. It's kind of sad, you know, right. <laughs> um, in ways. But yeah, the fact that that was so financially successful is like, is is kind of it's it's an interesting. Maybe it's the power of Jane Fonda, you know, who knows? Oh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. Well, like just for just for the sake, because like we we do, we still live in a current environment where a James Bond movie may come out any given year and be a top grossing film for yeah. the year. On Golden Pond beat out a James Bond film like on golden pond was number two for your eyes only was number eight, you know, chariots of fire beat out a James Bond film. Like it's, I'm like, this is an interesting environment that I, uh, I don't know. I guess I wasn't really going to the movies in 81 cause I was only a couple years old, but I was like, 
I'm, I'm kind of oddly nostalgic for like just the variety within just the top 10 movies at the box office that yeah. year was, you know, also if we already mentioned, but also Cannonball Run, um, Time Bandits is in there. I was like, this, this is a really fascinating cross section of wildly different films. Yeah. You know, actually uh, going back to maybe one episode, two episodes ago, mm-hmm. but uh, when we talked about the movies about movies. Yeah. Um, so I, during this holiday break, I went to go see the movie Empire of Light, and um, it takes place eighty to eighty one. So it in there at a movie theater. So actually, that movie helped me a little bit oh, with nice. this episode because uh, one of the major plot points is that they're going to have the regional premiere of Chariots of Fire. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so, and and like you know the 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 marquee changes titles every now and then. And like you hear uh, yeah. the soundtrack to nine to five at one point, oh, <laughs> <And> nice. so, <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, it's one of those things like it's a super somber kind of movie, but like every now and then those little touches. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my show prep while watching. The movie, <laughs> so. <laughs> well, besides just kind of noting what was at the box office as well to get everybody oriented into the flavor of 1981, um, we also wanted to mention some of the, you know, Academy Award nominations or at least like the big ones that 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 came in there. Um, interesting of note, when you're going through some of these years and kind of looking at what what was going on in the world, there's some interesting uh, kind of budding in of the real world into like film reporting. So the yeah. Academy Awards this year were actually um, there's several only a few years where they've been postponed. They were postponed due to the attempted assassination of President Reagan uh, mm. very early in his tenure. Yeah. Um, you have a presidential attempted assassination and uh, that that pushed off the Academy Awards, which for, as we just mentioned, uh, Chariots of Fire won uh, Best Picture. Uh, you got Warren Beatty winning Best Director for Reds, which was also nominated out the wazoo for uh, yeah. kinds of awards there. And you got Fonda and Hepburn getting on Golden Pond uh, acting awards. And I just wanted to shout out real quick to the uh, one of our very first episodes, Best Picture nominees, not the winners, but the nominees, uh, Atlantic City. Uh, oh, yeah. was um, getting some some Oscar love nominations didn't win anything obviously that's why I picked it for <laughs> that, yeah. that episode but um, I know Raiders got a couple uh, wins there I think for possibly for score some effects and things yeah sound yeah. yeah that that was like I think earlier in Spielberg's career was it's like he would get nominated for d- director or the p- the movie would get nominated for picture, but it would only win like the three technical <laughs> or, or some oh, of the yeah. technical kind of, because I think, you know, the same thing happened with Jurassic Park and, um, you know, which actually that came out the same year as Schindler's List. So like he kind of swept the Oscars. Yeah, he did okay that year. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, it's, um, um, I did watch, you know, uh, I didn't watch it for this episode, but I, I did watch Reds, I think, during the pandemic because it was one of those ones where, hey, I got all the time in the world. And it it was one of those ones with a long, very long runtime. So oh, yeah. sometimes with things with long runtimes, it's a little intimidating to me. But I did I did get through it. I, I think it took me I, I kind of did it like episodically just because. It is, I mean, it's very well done, but yeah, it's just one of those things where, I don't know, in one sitting, it's a little tough. I yeah. What is, uh, look it up here real quick. 195 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's interesting. That is one. Also, I just caught up with in the last couple of years. Like it was just one of those. It was always sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it's um, it's not one of uh, one of my picks, but it, it definitely a, a, a huge recommendation if you haven't seen it. It's a really fascinating, really fascinating piece of filmmaking that Warren Beatty put together. Absolutely. There was also, and I didn't lean too far into it because I feel like we've we've done uh, several episodes, not several, but we've done a few episodes now that have really leaned into. Uh, horror through the month of October, we did kind of yeah. horror specific topics, and then we just did holiday horror. Uh, but eighty one, man, uh, slasher boom is in full effect. Oh yeah, and had just like quite quite a listing of just like not even just slasher stuff, but also just like just really some oddball stuff, including one of my honorable mentions. But I didn't <laughs> want to lean too much into the horror, but there was still two movies I watched uh, for this episode. Uh, one of one I'll, I'll mention in a minute as an honorable mention, but. Man, if you, if you are interested in just some bonkers 80s slasher movies, like 81 yeah. has got some choice cuts for you. Yeah, I my uh my eventual pick is uh definitely leans into that uh that genre. That genre. Right. We'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into some of the uh honorable mentions. Uh what what do you got, Aaron? I've got a couple for this one. Um I'm wondering since you just mentioned the horror thing, if we're going to have some overlap here <laughs> or yeah, not, maybe um, this might be the first time. <laughs> all right. Um, the, I'll, I'll do the horror one just to get that one out of the way. I, there's this one again with the names. I, on our last one with holiday horror, I went with um, 3615 code Père Noel, AKA five other titles. This one is butcher Baker nightmare maker, AKA night warning. <laughs> um, is this overlap? Is this? No. Oh, okay. We're good. Yeah. So Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is a terrible title, but it does stick in your head, I guess, because it's so, so weird. It has nothing to do with the butcher. It has nothing to do with the baker. Um, I guess there's some nightmares being created in this movie, but I feel like I heard it recommended on a podcast at some point. because I was like, okay, maybe it's pure cinema podcast or something. We're mentioning just like, you know, wild movies to include on uh, horror all nighters or whatever. Because it was already in my queue when I went to like see if it was available on Tubi or, or streaming anywhere. And I was like, oh, it's already in my queue. All right, I need to watch this one now. It's from director William Asher, who may come up at some point because he directed almost all of those beach party movies from sure. the 60s that I have a soft spot for. But be that as it may, he was also a prolific uh, TV guy. He was around at the very early stages of TV and some places credit him with inventing the sitcom and some other stuff. So like huge TV guy was married to Elizabeth Montgomery and directed a bunch of her uh, Bewitched episodes. Oh, wow. And uh, I Love Lucy and all that. But the interesting thing I would want to highlight real quick for Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker is, <laughs> I can't say that title without kind of giggling, is the, it stars Susan Tyrell, who I, I've kind of seen some of her movies when I looked up her, her filmography. It's, she plays Aunt Cheryl in this movie, and she's raising her nephew after the opening scene. These The parents of this little kid who's like three years old are just horrific car accident death like just your jaws on the floor like what is about to happen here it's like the brakes go out on a mountain road and like it's just every worst case scenario in that and then of course it's exploding by the end so she ends up raising her nephew uh because parents are dead car accident i would encourage people if you're into bonkers horror to stick with this one there's a lot of uh there's a lot of slurs uh for the, the the gay, the queer community, the F word is thrown around a sure, lot sure. by uh, Bo Svensson, the actor who plays like the most just over the top bigoted uh, cop of all time. 
like you just you hate this guy by the end. But in the end, I think it actually is. And I read some critical responses that uh, from 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 queer critics as well, because I'm not really perfectly suited to like do my own commentary on that, that they were saying like, no, this is actually a really interesting early positive portrayal of a gay character, even though this F word is thrown around a lot. Sure. Uh, really interesting, positive. And I, and I, I do agree with that by the end of the movie. Um, spoiler free here. But um, Aunt Cheryl is not coping too well with her her pride and joy the the the, the kid she raised from three years old who's about to graduate high school and he might go away to college on uh, <laughs> small scholarship so uh the body count remember it's 81 so we're not doing like full-on you know fully stacked body count but wait till you get to the final 20 minutes or so and you know there was like about an hour in i was like is this really slasher horror and then you get to the end you're like oh oh okay <laughs> it's building it's not a it's not an active like you know, Freddie, Jason, serial killer, you know, Michael Myers throughout, but it, it gets there. That's awesome. It gets there. Um, <laughs> but uh, another, another one of those like, you know, random deep, deep cuts from the, from the video store days available on Tubi. So yeah. Enjoy. Or maybe it was shutter. I forget, but anyway, uh, what do you got, Mike? What's uh, what's one of your honorable mentions? Just recently I had saw this for the first time uh, over at our, at the, you know, beloved Cinematheque, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, Thief by Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. With James Caan. And um, it was shown in honor of him passing. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, James Caan plays this uh, success or, you know, this like amazing, uh, you know, bank cat burglar, basically. But, you know, he's he's on one last uh, basically wants to do away from life of crime because now he has a woman and uh you know he's getting married and you know but he agrees to do one last um gig and um it's uh it surprises at like almost every turn it's uh it's got fantastic cinematography pretty much like very like heavily leaning into blue coloring and everything um and then also this like outstanding soundtrack from uh uh, Tangerine, uh, Tangerine Dream, oh, yeah. uh, which is uh, just very, it makes it a very hypnotic uh, mm-hmm. kind of experience when you're watching it and uh, getting to see it on the, uh, you know, for the first time on the big screen was, uh, was really, uh, you know, enjoyable for me. And, you know, so many character actors that Michael Mann ended up using a lot, like uh, Dennis Farina, for example, oh, yeah. was in it. And, uh, you know, uh, James Belushi or, you know, Jim Belushi in one of his earlier roles, perfect sl- kind of sleaze ball. He, he tended <laughs> to play like quite a few sleaze balls in like the early 80s uh, before then he started getting like some leading man roles after his brother died and everything. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, I, I don't know why it took me so long to to see that one. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that I did. I haven't seen that since uh, probably like college days. And you'll like this, Mike. I just bought it on VHS. Nice. <laughs> and nice. I, I, I almost popped in because I, when I was scrolling through 81, I was like, ooh, I did need to rewatch Thief because I didn't catch it at the Cinematheque. And I'm not, I don't dislike Michael Mann, but he's just not one of those like go-tos that I'm like, I gotta like, I'm not obsessed over sure. Michael Mann or anything. Uh, I was like, man, I, I need to give that one a watch because I have not watched that in forever. I immediately bought it on Criterion. So, 
it'll probably be in the in the wrapper. <laughs> I will, uh, I will, <laughs> I will, I will surely be watching a probably pan and scan <laughs> VHS right. of Michael Mann movie, which is not, not the way to go. But uh, what about any others for you? Um, I do have one other one. And this one is one. Yeah, I didn't I didn't watch it just now for the show, but I watched it this past summer, I think. Cause I had not seen it before. I'm a big fan of George Romero. Oh, yeah. He is obviously known for the, the zombie zombie genre, uh, some just horror in general. But, you know, father of the modern zombie film and all that. He made a fascinating movie. It's kind of a hard sell. It's called Night Riders. All one yeah. word, K-N-I-G-H-T, Night Riders in 1981. It's technically, uh, I know it is, it's a drama. If you do a, you know, IMDb or a Wikipedia or Letterboxd search for it, the image for it is Ed Harris. Uh, early role for him has to be, I, don't, I didn't look up his filmography ahead of time, but that's got, 1881's got to be an early role for Ed Harris, starring role yeah. for Ed Harris. And he's dressed like an Arthurian era knight riding a motorcycle. <laughs> Night Riders. It's... Uh, it's it's a really fascinating Romero film. Obviously, no zombies around. They're basically sure. you know live action role players who ride motorcycles and joust and put on shows. Like they they go to like not just even like rent fairs. Like they'll they'll arrive in a town and then do like a parade with like all full costumes and their motorcycles and their jousting equipment and everything. And they have you know jugglers with them and people cooking food like all this stuff. Like it's basically this traveling rent fair, I guess, for lack of a better word. And they come to town and then they'll put on these jousting shows and they speak of, you know, like the, you know, pride of, you know, from King William and blah, blah. And they're really leaning to this whole Arthurian like ideals of, of chivalry and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And it's, it's really, it really is fascinating. I'm interested in almost nothing I just described. <laughs> George Romero, but oh, like, and it also is over two hours. Again, I, it, it's, it's really weird. He, he keeps it really entertaining. It moves at a clip. You've got Tom Savini uh, is in there. He's the Black Knight. You know, he's the one you know, challenging Ed Harris. And they live by these rules where, like, if you're bested, you know, somebody else gets to take over the troop. And yeah. you know, you're the leader and all this stuff. Like, this is really, really fascinating. Um, I've kind of, because there's only so many films, a George Romero completist, because he only made so many. And yes, I've watched a lot of the later Survival of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nonsense <laughs> and all that. I think there's elements to all of his stuff that are worthwhile. I think one thing that gets overlooked with his zombie stuff, uh, particularly I would say like the, the the original Dead trilogy, more or less, is he's really good at interpersonal dynamics. Like mm. if you really think about Night of the Living Dead, the OG one, it's really just like people stuck in a house. Yeah. For a huge chunk of that movie and the dynamics of like how to survive. And if you could just keep your calm and work together, people. It's slow moving zombies out there. You'll be good. Nope. Yeah. That will never happen because humans cannot get their shit together and cooperate. <laughs> and it's kind of, he, he's allowed to like look at, it's a big ensemble cast too. And I mean, I think it's just because you just mentioned it before we were recording, but like, you know, that Boogie Nights thing, a found family idea yes. is what you're really working with here. Um, and also, again, 1981, you have one of the troop members here, uh, Pippin. I forget the actor who plays it, um, but it's like an out character who finds romantic love in the course of the movie. And it's not a source of like ridicule or um, mockery or anything. You're just like, here's just one of our characters. And I was like, yeah, hey, it's really refreshing to see something like that from the 80s where you're like, oh, God, oh, what words are we going to be using here? You know, and it could be cringy, but you're like, oh, yeah, OK. Not everybody was an asshole in 1981. And, you know, he wrote some interesting characters and got some great actors for it. That's so, awesome. <laughs> if you're in the mood. I mean, if you're an Ed Harris fan, I mean, he's a fantastic actor. Um, it's a good early starring role for him. He holds the whole thing together. But 
Yeah, I, it's a hard sell. I don't know. Look at that poster. And <laughs> no, I'm definitely going to add that to my watch list. It's one of just like put it on your queue, and every sooner or later over the next few years, you'll be like, I'm going to give that one a roll. That's that's it's it's Night Rider's time tonight. But uh, any other honorable mentions, Mike? Yeah. So my other one uh, is one that we've already mentioned in this episode, but it is on Golden Pond. Um, oh, okay. Uh, which was one of the uh, you know, number two at the box office for that year and was also the recipient of three Academy Awards for uh, Henry Fonda, Catherine Hepburn, and the, uh, I believe the, the screenplay won Best Adapted Screenplay because oh, it's nice. based on the play. Um, and it is, uh, you know, I wonder if it kind of does fall fall into that like late 70s uh, bleed into 80s kind of, category because it is it's a you know very dialogue heavy um but uh it actually it does have like kind of a sweetness to it uh you know henry fonda plays this uh uh basically the uh you know the older what well, this basically they're they're an old married couple um who have this pond house um and i believe it's in i want to say it's in michigan but and then uh, their their daughter is Jane Fonda, and Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda, who are obviously real life uh, uh, father and daughter, but they're they're estranged essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, she comes by on the on the birthday and um, uh, drops. You know, she has this new guy that she's dating, and he has a son. And they decide to drop off the kid because they're going to go to Europe for a month. So they now have to like watch over this thirteen year old boy. Um, but you know, throughout it, Henry Fonda's character is starting to have memory problems and, and everything. So there is a little bit of melodrama in it, but Mm. I, I was actually, I was surprised like about how much I enjoyed the movie. Um, it's kind of, um, you know, it is one of those, I guess, you know, there's several different things in their Oscar clips, you know, where mm-hmm. it almost became a cliche. Uh, but, you know, you have uh, Catherine Hepburn doing her like kind of, uh, you know, as she was getting up older in age, you can tell she had maybe some health ailments. So she's kind of like, oh, oh, oh like kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit, you know, has the scene where she gets to slap Jane Fonda. And I remember uh, oh, yeah. one time my, my grandfather not a big fan of Jane Fonda. So I think he did watch this movie though. When she got slapped, he was very happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, that a different generation, different time. Right. right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, definitely um, it, a very, you know, there were, I think a lot of movies that were based on plays that were produced during that time. Mm. And uh, this was, it was actually surprising, surprisingly pretty good. It's one of those. And I, I trust your judgment. I, I I completely believe it's a it's a it's a really good movie. It was just it's always been one of those where like yeah yeah I know it's good. I just I don't know if I want to. <laughs> well, I, yeah, See, I, the dynamic of those three actors specifically though really kind of does pull me towards like no no like I've seen them act a bunch. I think that would be interesting dynamic to see those three on screen together. Yeah, it. I I will say that it took me three attempts to watch it. So the oh. first time I fell asleep, second time I got bored. And then, <laughs> well. Um, you know, force myself to finish it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you did. Yes. It is a slower pace. Yes. Yeah. That does it. That one of the ones we've got, I don't know your, your final pick. And I, I mind my final pick does have a little bit of a hangover from the seventies kind of thing. But this one, like you're saying, like it's, 
the pace to it for one, but also like the actors that are in it and focusing yeah. more on performance and, you know, motivation. It has, um, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking like a five easy pieces, like, you know, what is that movie about? Oh, it's about Jack Nicholson. I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's just, exactly. It's yeah. You know? So, um, it, and you don't, I don't know for a fact that I didn't do a full survey of the eighties, but like, I just don't feel like that's really what you're getting at top of the box office as we get farther into the eighties to the modern era. Yeah. So what film did you end up picking? So I realized I start off all of my things. So in a pause, uh, I went, so I, I have a, I have a blind spot when it comes to animation. Like I, I enjoy animation, but I generally just don't seek out animation. And so that was one of the things I wrote down. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is watch challenge. It's the nature of the show. Like let's get outside my, my comfort zones. And I was going through and I was like, well, let's, uh, I'll pass through the 1981 list again and see what, what was animated in that year yeah. that came out. And there was one that jumped out right away. I'm like, oh, I've seen a couple of his movies. I would like to watch one of his movies. I remember this trailer specifically uh, from writing stuff at the video store when this came out on video. American Pop by Ralph Bakshi from... Oh, yeah. One family. Some music I love. Four generations. This is work. This is play. In love with the sound of American Pop. Ralph Bakshi, the creator of Fritz the Cat and Lord of the Rings, now takes modern animation a quantum leap forward with a motion picture of incredible beauty and remarkable power. Dance to it, drive to it, sing with it, or swing with it. If you can crank it up, plug it in, or switch it on. If it assaults your senses, rocks your body, or touches your soul. It's American Pop. The trailer was around me for some reason, and I, I looked up a little bit about the movie, and it, I don't think it got a home video release until the 90s. So that's probably why I was seeing it, because I was either living at the video store <laughs> or eventually then working at the video store in the late 90s. Um, so I was like, oh, that must have been why I was around this trailer. And it is uh, currently up for free on Tubi, I think it was where I watched it, or maybe it was on Amazon. Yeah. Um, but it's uh it's really it's a really fascinating story i know uh ralph bakshi's kind of most infamous for something like fritz the cat or maybe even coonskin but probably most well known for the lord of the rings animated uh, oh, version and uh, yeah. wizards as well um you know lifelong animator I, I read some negative stuff about uh you know his animation styles like i don't know i kind of dig it i uh, i really do yeah this one is done in that rotoscope style which i generally associate because of the age i am with like a richard linkladder and waking life or scanner darkly where he does have some actors performing things maybe not even in full costume but just to like to get the movements and everything down and then he's animating on top of that so all you see is the animation although there's actually a lot of not a lot there's a good number of clips of like actual footage um like real humans as well too in it the the quick plot synopsis for it is it's kind of like it's trying to do like a history of American music running parallel with the story of a Russian Jewish immigrant family over three generations. So you've got Zalmi, 
uh, who's uh, the original immigrate from Imperial Russia era. Then you've got Benny and you have Tony. The thing is, yeah. though, as you're watching it, the Tony story starts up at about the 35, 40 minute mark. So it's it's really to me like act one is like, you know, Zalmi and Benny. And then act two and three is really like the grandson. OK. And it's like even it starts off with like some black and white footage, even some footage uh, pictures, you know, um, immigrants coming over from Russia on the boat and all that. But it, the Imperial Russia's moments, which are maybe like four minutes, if that they're done all as a silent film. There's titles in between mm-hmm. of like, oh, no, we have to escape, you know, or, or whatever. So you've got Zalmi arriving, you know, here in New York City and each generation, they get deeper and deeper into music. Yeah. And into the music scene. And so you you end up having this interesting, like I said, the, the news footage and the rotoscoping going on. But you have historical events like the Triangle Shirt Fire building, you know, turn of the century in New York City. There's World War One. There's World War Two. There's Vietnam. There's mobsters. Oh, there's Prohibition. There's a whole segment on Prohibition and the gangland wars <laughs> of Prohibition. But in the background, too, you also have... Um, jazz you've got big band you've got burlesque you've got um i'm trying to think like new orleans kind of style whatever the, i'm not a like ragtime oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. but then once you get to cajun, this um, cajun. which one that, would that be would it be called cajun music or? kind of cajun yeah like yeah. it's this really kind of interesting mix like whatever you would have in like basically new york city for a you know late 1800s up through world war ii like it's there um, yeah it's really a swing uh big band stuff is around and I'll mention some of the, the music in a second, but he's pulling from what you, we would generally call like the great American songbook. Like this is not original music that's being done here. So it's sort of like the fictional history of like, how did this song get written? You know, he's just around a lot of music too. So it's not a straight, like true story or anything necessarily, but it also then wraps up all this. In, like it got the immigrant experience, obviously, but then there's generational trauma. There's ideas of like masculinity, there's addiction, there's dysfunctional family, but it's really like just music is the background. Wow. Um, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. I, I was just kind of mesmerized by it. As you get into Tony's story, he ends up being a, like a, um, a songwriter who heads out West, you know, he's going to, going to make it. And he basically ends up with kind of like a kind of a mama's, no, not mama's in the pop. It's more like a Jefferson airplane type band. Yeah. And he's like writing lyrics for them. And so from 40 minutes on, you get music from Bob Dylan, Jefferson airplane, Janis Joplin, The Doors, The Mamas and the Papas, Herbie Hancock, Lou Reed. It's pretty wild uh, how much Jimi Hendrix is in there, too. Like, wow. The, I, I read that they got the music rights for like a uh, million dollars back in 81 wow. for Ralph Bakshi to do this. But then that's why it stayed off of home video, because to clear it for home video was like, oh, gosh, yeah, work over the money. It's just packed with that 70s late 60s early 70s counterculture and nostalgia because that's pretty much the era that tony is in yeah and around and then that character gets a little too interested in the drugs instead of the music so we got some problems going on with that but then you know uh is able to kind of pull it together well ish and then um you know you just get more and more music it's just more and more rapid fire and also the animation gets a lot trippier because you get into the counterculture of the 60s and 70s and all the drug stuff um mixed in with the music but man, if I had seen this movie previously, it definitely would have been mentioned in our Needle Drops episode. Oh yeah, uh, all that that like classic rock stuff that I dig is um, just like every other minute in the last, you know, the last forty minutes of this movie is just like the greatest hits of music from that era. Not necessarily yeah. that like he's like writing it or performing it, but like being part of the music industry, he's just around it. So like we do see Jimi Hendrix do. Uh, you know, excuse me while I kiss the sky. Like there's a little <laughs> rendition that you get of him. So I'm like, oh my God, animated Jimi Hendrix. This is pretty fucking cool. 
And then the way it's drawn too, like that rotoscoping and the era of like crappy, like computer animation, like, cause the holidays just happened. We, we clicked play for a minute as a goof on like the elf on the shelf, Netflix. I'm like, get the fuck. Oh, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> like you could see somebody with their hands drew this stuff and it's, I love it. I dig it. I dig it a lot. So, uh, yeah, American pop Ralph Bakshi from, uh, obviously 1981. And I'm like trying to look up if it's on home video. It doesn't really, maybe it's not. Uh, or it's like, it seems like that would be something that, you know, one of the, maybe not Criterion, but like one of those like Shop Factory or something. Oh, yeah, for have. sure. Yeah, like I said, I think, uh, yeah, I, I watched it on, on Prime. Prime. Um, it, okay. it, I remember having a VHS release because I remember definitely seeing like the VHS trailer um, yeah. for it back in the day. But yeah, I don't know if it actually made it past that. That's cool. Um so I went with a a genre movie. Okay. <laughs> um, and this one is it's an Australian movie. So and I don't know based on the year, I don't know if it falls under Osploitation or not. Okay. Uh, but it does feature American actors. So okay. maybe maybe it doesn't. But um it's from nineteen eighty one obviously <laughs> well, nineteen eighty one, of course. Uh but it's called Road Games. Road games. What the hell? The truck driver plays games. The hitchhiker plays games. Aren't you kind of young to be hitchhiking out here all by yourself? Aren't you kind of old to be picking me up? And a killer is playing the deadliest game of all. Oh, he's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know. What's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game properly, we have to know what he thinks of women. Stacy Keach is quid. No, no, it's Q-U-I-D. D isn't death to young girls, you cretin. Jamie Lee Curtis is hitch. Attic and camera. Now you're uh, looking for a little adventure, huh? I could go to Disneyland for a little adventure. What I'm looking for is a little excitement. <gasps> Road games. Across 1,600 miles of desert highway, they're playing games of violence and sudden death. Road games. It's my game. Okay, Sherlock. If someone doesn't stop soon, there won't be anyone left alive to play road games. Have you heard of this one? I almost clicked play on this one. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Yes. So Jamie Lee Curtis, Stacy Keach. Um, it's a pretty fun movie, and it is uh, by look doing a little bit of uh, looking up. Um, it is uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies, apparently. Okay. Um, but uh, Stacy. Stacy Keach plays a truck driver named Quid. Uh, you know, he's uh, kind of like this lovable kind of loot who's just, you know, he basically wants to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been doing so many different um, uh, trips, but um, he's offered like, you know, double time if he can deliver these uh, these pigs from across Australia. And uh, while he is, uh, you know, he, he loads up the truck and he kind of takes a nap before he talk, starts on his journey. Um, a young woman is um, 
you know, we, we see this all like, you know, firsthand, but like, you know, a young woman is choked by a, um, a guitar string out of nowhere. And then, um, this person who is, does the choking has this green van. Uh, so is, uh, tailing, uh, Stacy Keach as he is driving along, as he's driving along, he does pick up, he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, who she's her character's name. I, she has a character name, um, which is Pamela, but she, you know, she's just known as Hitch, uh, throughout <laughs> the whole movie. But, uh, despite their age difference, Stacy Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis, they start to kind of form this bond, form this like kind of romantic bond. You know, it ends up becoming a bit of a chase movie. Okay. But uh, I think one of the things that I really liked about it was Stacy Stacy Keach's performance is just so like so likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's just like this everyman who just wants to just get this job done, <laughs> get his overtime pay, and just like relax for a bit. From what I've read, the the director was you know it didn't do super great when it was released, and it was okay. barely released uh, because they kind of they marketed it as a slasher and really there's only one death in the film so you know you, you can't really call it a slasher if it's there's just one death yeah but, yeah uh one of the other things that i really um that really um stands up about it is this harmonica laced score by brian may who is uh from you know i he's probably like the john williams of australian um composers oh really <laughs> okay um i think he did you know music for mad max and um i you know i could be i could be wrong on that but um oh yeah no it says mad max and mad max 2 yes so he's like it i don't know it's just kind of this like very buoyant uh, kind of fun score yeah um and it you know it moves at such a fast clip I think it's like, you know, maybe a little over 90 minutes, but uh, I had a really good fun with it. I could see why it definitely is one of Tarantino's favorite movies. It just, there's some really interesting scenes where he's driving, you know, and he's, because he can barely stay awake. There's a lot of like these, uh, you know, just imagery in the film where like overlays, like where like, you know, he's looking forward. Oh yeah. In the back of the the van, like he sees like these eyes, you know, because he's, I don't know. He's just having like all these troubles staying awake. And it's so given all the stakes with this, where it's like, you know, he's being chased by this weirdo. Um, He just wants to get, get his job done. He's like devoid of sleep. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. It was just a very unique and fun movie. Yeah, for some reason I had that in my head as like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis went to Australia and did another slasher movie, like after Halloween. Yeah, well, I, I think from what I, another just reading on the Wikipedia, it's mm-hmm. they had somebody else was cast, uh, but then um, you know it was suggested to cast her because you know she was just so um, so popular in horror, yeah, yeah. And all that. So you know, I, I would definitely say it's uh, you know it it's certainly worth a watch and it's uh you know yeah it, it it's quite quite a bit of fun from uh the director of patrick one of your previous picks yes i believe as well yes which i didn't even realize when i when i pressed play it's just one that looked kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's been it's kind of been bouncing around my list for a while and then as i was scrolling through 
the 81, uh, you know, list of all the movies that came out, it was, I, it was in that horror genre. I was like, uh, I, cause again, I, for some reason had it as like slasher in my head and I was like, eh, I've already got uh butcher baker nightmare maker on my list. I'll, I'll get to road games later. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you saw it. And, um, everything yeah. you said about it was like, that's kind of how I've heard. It's a good time. Solid film. Yeah. And what um, I, what I hear, there was like a pretty good, uh, release that shout factory slash scream factory put out mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So, uh, definitely, if that's if that's your bag, I would say it's a buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, especially with companies like that too. There's probably some really good bells and whistles or commentaries or special stuff on there. Oh too. yeah, yeah. So our official watch challenge picks for the films of 1981 are American Pop and Road Games. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Well, the Sundance 2023, I got to get used to saying that still, uh, Sundance 2023 is uh, kicking off later this month. So we thought, let's take a look at Sundance alums. So films that came out of the Sundance Film Festival uh, through the years. Well, actually, it's been around since I want to say about 81. It was early 80s, I think. So that's actually a much bigger challenge than I thought of when we were <laughs> uh, putting together this idea. But uh, yeah, Sundance alums uh, will be our next pick. Excellent. If you'd like to send us your picks for Sundance alums or suggest a topic or genre you'd like to cover on a future show, uh, send us an email at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or in the links of the show notes. Until next time, folks, uh, please rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you are using, and we'll see you all with the next challenge. Uh-huh.